Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, January the 27th, 2023. And the news from America is not unusual. On the one hand, the American economy continues to steam ahead, uh, impressing people. The U.S. economy, according to the Financial Times, um, beat expectations with 2.9% growth in the fourth quarter. Uh, so when it comes to economics, the United States continually beats expectations. But when it comes to politics, the reverse is true. Looking at Politico, one of the most authoritative uh, online sources for uh, news and opinion about politics, there's a story about how we may be doomed with the oncoming debt ceiling standoff, um, which is very chilling. Um, we expect Biden, Joe Biden's next years to apparently to be, to, I'm quoting uh, Politico, a brutal war and a rough campaign, which is very odd given the relative um, prosperity of the country and the, um, the achievements of, of the economy. Uh, Biden, Pence, Trump have all been accused of mishandling documents. None of them seem to be particularly concerned or penitent. Um, the Republican Party continues to be uh, torn asunder by Donald Trump, apparently, according to the New York Times, uh, the Republican, uh, the RNC, uh, is beginning to back away from Trump, maybe with success, maybe not. Uh, meanwhile, some of the Republican candidates for the next round of presidential elections uh, are appearing increasingly odd. Uh, Florida doctors, according to Politico, are worrying that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, is going to give quote-unquote, fringe dermatologists a platform. I'm not sure what that means. And the Democrats are also in a state of near-civil war. Ruben Gallego, a House of Representative uh, Democrat who was actually on the show a couple of years ago, wrote a wonderful book about his experiences in Iraq, is now challenging Kristen Sinema for the uh, Democratic uh, Senate seat. So politics underachieving, economics overachieving. I wonder why my guest on the show today, Lee Drutman, is part of the uh, New America Foundation. I'm not sure if it's foundation, but it is a foundation, even if they don't use the F word in its, uh, uh, in its description. And he's the author of an important book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. He's joining us from his basement in Washington, D.C. He's the last man standing uh, in D.C. Lee, can we blame this continual political underachievement on what you call the two-party doom loop? Is that the problem with American politics? Why it's so underperforming, so dysfunctional on so many different levels? I do think it is a core problem, Andrew. I think what's happened is, although there... Uh, as you note, uh, the economy is doing pretty well. Uh, we have two parties that are uh, deeply, deeply 
polarized and view each other not as the opposition but as the enemy and as a uh, tool of partisan warfare uh, <clears throat> the republicans are going to threaten to uh, blow up the full faith and credit of the united states uh, and the every election is caught up in this fearsome struggle for the soul of the nation, for the meaning of what it is to be an American. And it makes it very hard to do the kind of give and take compromise that governing fundamentally requires. Does it really matter, though, Lee? I've lived in this country. We, were, we talked on air, be, uh, off air before we came on. I came to grad school at Berkeley. You got your PhD in Berkeley. I came in the 80s. I've been hearing the same stories now for almost the 40 years I've lived in this country, but it doesn't really matter. The economy is healthy. Most people are prosperous. They enjoy moaning, but the society works reasonably well, perhaps outside Medicare and, and, and gun violence. Who cares? If, if, if Washington, D.C. Is, uh, is a freak show? Well, apparently a lot of uh, uh, the American people care because uh, people are... are really... Yeah, but they continue to vote for these parties. Whenever a third-party well, candidate well, comes yeah. up, they don't get the well, vote. Well, because, it's because the American people are not idiots. They're not going to vote for a third party who's going to be a spoiler uh, or a, a wasted vote. And third party candidates are, are mostly, mostly fringe dermatologists anyway, uh, <laughs> at this point, because the, all the energy is concentrated into the two parties because of, of our voting system that punishes third parties. So, so yes, American people vote. I mean, this is, this is the, the remarkable thing about the midterms is almost every incumbent got reelected at a time when Americans are incredibly uh, unhappy with how things are being run in Washington it's because they don't like the choices, but the alternative to the party that they normally vote for is basically to them the end of America. So that's not a great situation. And yes, we've managed to muddle through. The economy is doing okay, but inequality is high. A lot of people feel that their own uh, future is going to be worse than than their their than, than the future was or than the past, uh, and uh, you know, there, there's just a, a a sense of of anger and distrust uh, that is just really unhealthy for a, a democratic society. Hasn't America, though, Lee, always been like that? I'm rereading C. My uh, C. Wright Mills's book on the power brokers, a book written in the 1950s about inequality and power and wealth it seems as if the message has always been the same and yet america works reasonably well are, are you one of these people who would like to transform america into a multi-party democracy like denmark or sweden or norway or something uh, yes i am one of those people uh uh, does it work reasonably or, or does it? So, right. I mean, there's always been criticism. Uh, you know, C. Wright Mills writes The Power Elite in 1956. Uh, and that, that is kind of a precursor to one of our great eras of reform, the, the 1960s, in which uh, there, there were some major changes made to how we do democracy. So yes, it was a it was a decent time the 1950s to be a, uh, a white American male, but I think a lot of people at the time. Well, Mills isn't saying that. I'm not. No, I, I know that's not what Mills, Mills, is, 
Mills, um, that's what you're uh, you're saying. That I'm thing. simply saying that this is this is not a bug. Uh, this this is a feature of American democracy or Ameri American society for 100, 200 years. It's always been the same story. The the economy works and the politics doesn't. Does it? Is that the case? Has the economy always worked? Uh, economy has had ups and downs. Well, certainly for the last hundred years, uh, you know, since America industrialized. Uh, perhaps, but America also has incredible poverty. We have, you know, we have a very poor health care system. We have the de uh, declining life expectancy, high, uh, tremendously high inequality, uh, probably the, the, I think the highest among OECD countries. It's interesting that you, you made the point, Lee, that the political system began to work in, in the 60s. Um, did it work, at least in your mind, because, uh, be, because of the nature of the coalition that ran the country? The system didn't change. It simply was that the, the power balance was different back in the 60s than it is today. The power, but what, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that a New Deal-ish style coalition was in power back then, and today there isn't one. It's more of a a legacy of of of, of the neoliberal chaos of the last forty years. I, I, I'm in your camp on, on the political front, but I want to separate the signal from the noise. I mean, what was it about the sixties? that um, enabled America to borrow some language from your, your title of your book. Did it break the two-party doom loop in the 60s? What happened? Well, what, what we had was much more of, a, of what, what I would consider to be a four-party system with liberal Republicans uh, and conservative Republicans along with liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. So if you go back to the landmark civil rights legislation as well, it's a lot of the important social legislation that was passed in the 1960s, it was passed with a, an interesting cross-partisan coalition uh, in which the, the, in the civil rights, the major civil rights bills of 64 and 65, for example, uh, had higher support among Republicans in Congress than among Democrats because the, you had a, a Southern Democratic wing. And, and really what was different was that we ha had a, a a two-party system in name, but not in practice. The system was so overlapping and messy that what we really had was something much more like a multi-party system. And I think that actually uh, enabled us to solve these big problems because not everything was this fearsome, zero-sum, us-against-them battle for the soul of the nation, but it cut across uh, political lines in interesting ways that allowed for flexibility and uh, coalitions to form around the crises that the nation was facing. So if there was what you call a four-party system in the 60s, even if there were two formal political parties and there was a right-left in both parties, what do we have now? Do we have a, a kind of a, a, a three-party system or something under a three-party system where the Democrats seem to be comfortable with the divisions but the Republicans aren't? Or, or is that wrong? Well, so in the third party in your... Well, the third party, so, so, the so the Democrats still kind of conform to what the Democrats were like in the 60s with a left and a right, progressives and conservatives, uh, Gallego versus Cinema, 
but the yeah, Republicans seem to have been taken over by the the dermatologists. Yes, the fringe dermatologists, uh, fringe dermatology caucus, uh, which has gotten quite a quite a lot out of uh, Kevin McCarthy. So I, I think what's happened is that politics has flattened. It's become one dimensional. It's become binary. It's become us against them. And yes, both Democrats and Republicans uh, are still broad coalitions, but those broad coalitions are along one dimension. So there's no flanking maneuvers that either party could do to shift the the axis of, of conflict in a way that would allow for new coalitions. And I mean, Cinema Cinema left the Democratic Party, right? She's an independent. Right. So she's an ex ex dem, right. I guess. Yes. So so the the most conservative Democrat now is much more liberal than the most liberal Republican. And that's something that that has really only been the case for about a decade now. And that's when things have been falling apart. And that's when we so who's the most liberal. I mean, the most conservative Democrat, I assume, is what Manchin. Who's the most liberal Republican? Probably Lisa Murkowski. And there's a big difference between the two of them. Uh, Manchin votes with Democrats 80% of the time, uh, Murkowski votes with Republicans 80% of the time. So, yes. So if we close our eyes, Lee, let's imagine that you had your way, your will with the American democratic system. Um, you had a, in Noema, an interesting piece, a remedy for undemocratic democracy, a shift to proportional representation. What would that look like and how would it change politics? Well, it would mean that we would use proportional repre representation to elect the House. So in, in my ideal system, we would have uh, multi-member districts elected proportionally. I, I prefer, I, I like an open list system. Uh, I would use the, the Finnish model. Uh, but the, the idea is basically that we remove the, the single winner structure, which limits third parties to spoilers, and moved to, I would say, about five member districts should be the ideal. And I would say nationally, we would have about five or six parties uh, in the House. Um, and some of that would, would spill over to the Senate as well, especially if we could put in place fusion voting. But I'm, I'm introducing a lot of, a lot of terms here. Uh, so the, the basic idea is proportional representation for the House, allow for multiple parties. And then you could have different coalitions forming and rather than, say, McCarthy being hostage to the Fringe Dermatology Caucus, we're going with this bit, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh, I, think, I think everyone knows what we mean. Uh, the, 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 and that's there's only one way that McCarthy can form uh, a coalition to make a speaker in the House. But if there were five or six parties, uh, there would be different ways, different coalitions that could form to elect a speaker. And so the fringes just wouldn't have the same power to extract uh, so much. They, they only have that power because it's a narrowly divided Congress and there's no Democrats, no conservative Democrats, no centrists who would form a different. Uh, I, I, I take your point, Lee, but there is, of course, a counter argument. You look at Israel, for example, where in a multi-party system, uh, loonies, uh, real fringe dermatology candidates, kosher ones, um, control politics to such an extent that everything becomes bizarre. So 
how are you going to avoid that? It's all very well in Finland or Denmark where you don't have fringe dermatologists. But in normal countries, Israel, Italy, the United States, you do. So how are you going to avoid loonies, Lauren Bobert's or Marjorie Taylor Greene's controlling the balance of power as they kind of do now? Ah, but you do have crazy parties in Finland and Denmark. You just don't hear about them because they don't have any power. Well, uh, in the Sweden, and, they're and in the, the government, reason, aren't they? <laughs> they're, go look at the true Finns if you want to see a loony. Right, but in party. Sweden, they're actually in government. Yeah, but they're, but they're much uh, muted in what they're able to extract because the governing coalition, the, 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 the center-right party, has plenty of alternative coalitions, so it has more leverage. Now, Israel, I, I wouldn't recommend that we become Israel because Israel uses the most hyper form of proportional representation. Uh, they have one national party-less system. They have too many parties. Uh, although I, I, I would say on behalf of Israel that they were able to form some interesting coalitions to keep Netanyahu uh, out of power. Now, I mean, Israel's, the fact that they're, they're I mean, t talk about countries where the economy is thriving despite chaotic politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, Israel quality of life is still pretty high in Israel. And despite being well, for, for most of the, not for everybody, but that's another story. Palestinians. Uh, and the fact that the Arab parties are, are have a very hard time uh, getting into a coalition government kind of challenges the possibilities for coalition government. We, we could talk about Israeli politics for a while. I'm not sure Israeli politics would be much more functional if you had a, a majoritarian two party uh, system in which you would have a you would always it would always be the Netanyahu, you know, uh, anti-Arab party versus the the. The, the alternative, uh, which I think would turn make Israel into a, uh, it would basically destroy Israel. So I think the fact that they have a multi-party system actually creates some flexibility that allows them to still have a democracy. Uh, but th there are different types of proportional representation systems. And I'm not proposing that we have a 15-party system, although it seems to work actually surprisingly well for the Dutch, who have basically the same electoral system as Israel. And nobody talks about how dysfunctional Dutch politics are, although they do have a party for animals. Uh, they have an animal rights party. So if you're into that, uh, that's a cool thing. But th there are different systems. And what, what I would propose for the U.S. is, is something with higher thresholds. Uh, so, uh, so the fringe, small fringe parties don't have a chance uh, to get into government and modestly sized districts of about five members, which also puts a threshold on uh, how many, effectively, how many parties can get into government. So I think a, a five to six party system is the, the right thing to shoot for modest proportionality. Uh, enough choices that people have conceived meaningful distinctions and have some uh, freedom to choose. And that there are a few opportunities, a few different ways in which coalition governments could form, but not so many that things become confusing and fractious. So I think it's important to when we talk about multi-party democracy to distinguish not just two versus more than two, but how many and, and, and you know, 15 or 17 or whatever in Israel now is 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 too many, I think. You wrote an interesting piece uh, for 538, why the two-party system is effing up U.S. democracy. Do you think one of the consequences of proportional representation, um, a multi-party system in America, is we get different kinds of party. You mentioned Europe and the Animal Rights Party in, in Holland, which I think is a very small sideshow. But 
it is. Um, the, the Greens in, in Europe, particularly in Germany, have been pretty influential. There's a significant green lobby on the environment in the United States. Could we see if there was real pro proportional representation in America, uh, a rethinking of, of what a political party should do rather than just left, right? We might have an environmental party, for example. I, I think so. Uh, we, we have a very limited view of uh, the, uh, what political parties can be. And the, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are uh, two incredibly old and creaky institutions that are, that are really struggling uh, to function as political parties in this moment. And, and I do think we need more innovation and more competition in the political space. Uh, times have changed. We, there are different ways to envision what a political party is and what a political party does, rather than constantly trying to retrofit uh, weak and creaky old party structures that never seem to be up to the moment and, and are trying to, to make uh, too many compromises among too many groups to really stand for anything other than being against the other side, uh, which I think weakens them further and weakens our political system further. What about constitutional reform? A lot of people believe that the Electoral College, to, to borrow some language from you, is, is old and creaky, is exhibit one on that front. It, it, is there a need not just for the electoral system to change, but for the, the basic constitutional architecture of elections? I, I'm in favor of that. I, I think that the Electoral College is the oldest and creakiest and most cockamamie uh, part of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, but the, the U.S. Constitution is the hardest constitution to amend in the world. Uh, and we're certainly not going to amend it when we have this binary political system in which one party benefits from uh, the Electoral College and one party doesn't. So the first thing, order of business, is we've got to break this doom loop. Uh, we've got to open up the political space, uh, make things less binary, and then we can start thinking about constitutional reform. And absolutely, we should get rid of the Electoral College. We should have a two-round national uh, system uh, with, with uh, fusion voting in the second round. And there's a lot of things I would love to change the Senate, change the Supreme Court, uh, age limits for politicians, all, all kinds of stuff to modernize our Constitution. Uh, what but, needs to happen, um, Lee, to, to trigger some of these changes? To, does somebody need a, one of the, the figures within these two dominant parties? Do they need to run on a platform of change, maybe a, a, a Teddy Roosevelt-style innovator? That's one way to do it. Uh, uh, you know, my, I mean, my, my understanding of how uh, things change in American politics and politics more broadly is that there are these occasional moments where a sense of crisis uh, reaches a, a, a peak and it feels like something has to be done. And we've seen these moments, we've seen various periods of reform in U.S. history. The 1830s uh, was a period of democracy reform. Uh, the progressive era in the 1900s was an era of big democracy reform. The mid-1960s to, mid to early 1970s was a period of democracy reform. Uh, also, I guess the, the revolution was also a period of democracy reform. And if you think about this and you, you do your math uh, on that history, you get a roughly 60 year time period. 
Uh, and we're, we're due for another one of these periods. It seems like every 60 years or so, maybe something about two generations. Uh, well, when was the last one? In the, the, the 1960s. The, there was a, a, I mean, a lot of voting rights and then a lot of transparency and, uh, and campaign finance uh, reforms. So, uh, you know, I, th I think we're, we're entering another one of these periods in which trust in institutions. How bad? How Sorry. bad do things have to get? My wife just forwarded me a story about uh, oh, with the title, A Literal Shit Show, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobert's bra Bathroom Brawl. How bad do things have to get? Do, do we need to get to, you know, you talk about the doom loop. Do we need to get to the doom loop on the debt ceiling? Does the U.S. government need to go into default uh, and the economy crash for this to happen? Well, I hope not. Um, but but the uh, we, we we are uh, approaching a Category Five fecal hurricane in. in well, we always hear that, but it never happens. Yeah. They always well, get right. It never happens until it happens, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. You, know, you look at the history of World War One, right? It was a lot of brinksmanship until suddenly it wasn't, and there was a miscalculation. Right? I mean, brinksmanship is the is keeps happening until somebody miscalculates. And then the whole thing crumbles. And, and, you know, I don't know if it'll be the debt ceiling, but I do feel like the, the number and the rapidity and the severity of potential political crises is definitely accelerating. And so part of that is, is you, you've got to have a sense that there's a problem, but also there's a sense that there's a, a solution. There's an alternative there. There's something that we can do uh, that would update and modernize our, our democracy in a way that would allow us to continue this project of self-governance. And I do think moving to a proportional multi-party system with, with better political parties, more political parties, better political parties, uh, new political parties, innovative political parties, uh, is a key part of that solution. So you think that the United States might be, at least in its political system, on the brink of World War I, Lee. Um, is this potential need for innovation it, it, it's clearly something you find on the left amongst progressives are there republicans are there conservatives who are also concerned maybe david brooks and one or two other progressive ex-republicans but what do the republicans think about this they, they seem to be quite comfortable maybe because increasingly they're the party of a minority and they're winning in the current system, or at least they're holding their own. They are winning in the current system or at least holding their own. I think there are a growing number of people in the Republican uh, coalition, may, maybe not in elected office, but in the voting uh, coalition and in the sort of larger uh, interest group and, and donor class coalition who are particularly anxious about where things are headed in the party. And have sort of been you know, willing to go along uh, on the thought that maybe things will come back to their senses. But the the latest developments in the House Republican Caucus uh, certainly suggest that they're the, the only uh, fever uh, that that is uh, breaking is uh, <laughs> there's no fever that's a, breaking. A, a dermatological one, right? A fringe yeah. dermatological. What what happens, Lee? If the next presidential election is fought between 
Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Could that be something that triggers World War One in American politics? Uh, possibly. And one, one, one more thing to extend this World War One metaphor. There's, there's two, two aspects of it. One is the miscalculation of brinksmanship that creates an irreversible uh, chain reaction of miscalculations. Uh, but two is that before leading up to World War One, you had a, a flattening of the uh, the European alliance system. That there, that that the, the alliance is essentially flattened into. Uh, in, into two competing alliances, and uh, some scholars of World War One believe that it was that it was the the binary flattening of the alliances into two great teams that also contributed to triggering uh, the war. So the two party system in international politics caused yes. the First World War. And you had well, a more of a, a multi a multi polar well, world. That was the concert of Europe. It was a multi, it was a sh constantly shifting alliances, uh, right? And then it was- that, that, Lee, what about the issue of money in politics? Uh, we haven't brought that up. Your, one of your books is on, uh, one of your, your, your last book before the Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop is um, a book about the business of America is, is lobbying. Do we need to reform that system too? Is there simply- too much money and is the money comfortable with the two-party system it, it 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 it's good news for corporations for wealthy people for the lobbyists in dc i think it used to be the the, the story that the two-party system and gridlock was good for business because it preserved the status quo uh but i i, I think a lot of businesses are becoming increasingly worried about this high stakes game of chicken with the debt ceiling and government funding and and also uh, just a, a general uh, dysfunction in government is is really not good for business. If policy shifts uh, 180 degrees from administration to administration, uh, it becomes uh, very hard for businesses to, to plan and make long term investments. Uh, China is steaming ahead globally, and that hurts American companies. Uh, the The reputation of America in the world uh, continues to decline, uh, and you know, I mean businesses can can manage, uh, but it, it's not particularly good for business to have a dysfunctional political system and if the system collapses into authoritarianism that is uh, definitely very bad for business well let's end lee um with some practical fixes uh, we always do in these sorts of conversations i think most people watching this will agree with you that the two-party system in america doesn't work anymore it's dysfunctional and there is generally a doom loop we're all in favor of innovating in American politics, but it's hard to do. What can people do? Can they quote unquote write to their congressman? I'm not sure whether that's very effective or it's simply <laughs> falling into the system itself. What can people do? I, I know there are some interesting initiatives um, in New England and in the Northwest in terms of voting. What can people do to actually support uh, re-architecting American democracy? Well, I mean, first people can do do the thing that that, I, that everybody says is to go go to my website www.fixourhouse.org. 
uh, and sign up for our newsletter and get connected uh, with what we're doing. Uh, that's that, at New America, right? That, that's well. That's a, that's a sorry. That that's a a separate organization. Right, and they should also it. subscribe to your podcast, Politics in Question, podcast. about that. And then then fix our house. So vote for Lee. You know, maybe Lee, your your tagline should be, "I'm not a a fringe dermatologist." Mm, well, uh, I'll get that thing. Yeah, so, somebody should get that thing checked out on my butt. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm not a fringe dermatologist. Uh, yes. So they can go to, uh, yeah, the, the campaign for proportional representation, uh, that I've started is, uh, fix our house, www.fixourhouse.org and, you know, pick up a copy of my book, send it to your friends, uh, have a conversation. Yeah. And talk to your member of Congress about how you want more parties and you want proportional representation. Right. Your book is Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. That is my book. <laughs>